This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. Wind, breath, and spirit. That's our topic today, wind, breath, and spirit. So in English, we have these three words. But as far as I understand, Father Jeffrey, these are, it's in the Hebrew, that's just one word that has wind, breath, and spirit. But then also in Greek, one word that has wind, breath, or spirit. Do I have that right? That it's one word, both the Hebrew and the Greek? You do indeed. So it's uh, ruach in the Hebrew and pnevma in the Greek. Right. And in those languages, depending on the context, you have these different shades of meaning. So the people who've translated the scriptures, either from those Hebrew manuscripts into English or from the Greek manuscripts into English, um, or sometimes both, they're referencing both, they will have to make a creative decision to help the reader in understanding the, um, the kind of the deeper meaning of what's going on here. Right. Um, you know, the so in the new revised standard version, for example, which is one of the ones, it's one of the scriptural translations that's used. If you go to university and take Bible courses or whatever, that's probably one of the standard ones. And uh, it'll say, you know, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, you know, a wind from God was over the face of the waters, right? A wind from God. Um, but that is the same word as spirit of God or the breath of God. Those are all sort of one one thing. Um, yeah. So the wind, breath, and spirit being our topic today. Sorry, go yeah, ahead, Father. I'm just going to interject at this point. It, it's worse than that in terms oh, okay. of translation in the sense that um, here are some other ways that the same Hebrew word will be translated uh, in the Old Testament. And because it's contextual, right? Uh, and it's idiomatic. So uh, yes, it's translated regularly as breath, wind, or spirit, depending on the context, but also Air, anger, blast, courage, despondency, quick-tempered, inspired, trustworthy, wrath. So it's complicated, right? Wow. So okay. it, it, yeah, it carries a lot of – so th th those further meanings are obviously metaphorical, right? So at the, at the heart of it still is the sense of, of ultimately what is the breath of God, the the wind uh, of God, which mm. we we take metaphorically to mean spirit in in, in English. Although I mean, that word itself actually comes from an ancient Indo-European word through the Latin. It's also the word for for breath. You know, there could we talk about inspiration and respiration and so forth. So the, the the word spirit is is a breathy word for us too, in that regard. But we've we've now separated that out in this particular meaning. But, but once it starts to take on this kind of idiomatic or, you know, kind of uh, connotative sense, as well as just the denotative, then you get all of these, you know, kind of metaphorical applications like temper and, and courage and, and, and so forth. Right. And we, we, if you think about it, like people can be, um, you know, we do that with various words in English too. Someone's inspired to do something or, you know, filled with a, you know, a kind of spirit or, a, you know, it, it would, would mean kind of animated to, to act and that sort of thing. So it could be strong feelings or emotions or, or, or activities connected with that. The same thing's happening in the Hebrew. So just, it, it really is quite complicated. And it's why it's really important 
to at least have something like an interlinear, uh, you know, Bible at hand where you can point these things out and, and see the connection. Because of course, it's the same word in, in the Hebrew in all of these contexts. And that is quite suggestive, I think, of maybe the kind of widest possible sense of meanings of, of a word like that. The, you know, the, the wind, the breath, the spirit, and, and all these words, you know, they have a deep connection with the way that God is portrayed in acting in the scriptures, right? The way that mm-hmm. God acts usually somehow, especially in these great moments of action, right? Um, not just conversations, but these sort of great moments of intervening or of action or of revelation is, is the, be- the better word. Um, the breath of God is very closely associated with that. So, you know, I mentioned already creation, Right in the first sentence of the of the scriptures, we have this image of the breath. So you have you know Yahweh, the source, who through his breath and through his word creates. Right, and and that breath is there. It's hovering over the face of the waters. That that spirit, that that um, that animating thing is already there from the beginning, and it's. I'm wondering if you can comment on that sort of close and intimate relationship between the breath of God and God's action in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. And again, you know, the temptation here is just to go to what is most obvious, right? And we sometimes miss because it's so obvious. Uh, I mean, the ancients didn't have our knowledge of, you know, how lungs functioned or about even the composition of air that we breathe and the kind of, you know, molecular structure of matter, etc., or how the body makes use of that. But they certainly understood that things that have breath are alive. And when they don't have breath, they're not alive, right? It's a very obvious point to make, but we sometimes miss the most obvious in, in our reflection on some of these symbols and, and, and so forth. And so, you know, if that's the case of cats, you know, and birds and human beings, the, the the scriptural imagery here is that it's the case of God himself, the God who is the most alive and who is the very source of life, the, that, that source of life is connected with his breath, with the, what he breathes out into and over creation in order to, in the first instance, as you say, in, you know, that's hymn of creation in Genesis chapter one, to kind of order the world, the, the world that is formless and void, wild and waste, however you want to translate the, the Hebrew there. Uh, it's God's breath that hovers or, or blasts, right, over that. And uh, this is where I wanted to mention those words before about all the different kinds of layers of meaning here. I mean, is this a, is this an angry blast? Is this a grieving blast? Is it a courageous blast? I mean, it could be any of those things in Hebrew, you know, kind of thought, right? But certainly it's deeply connected with activity, with animation, with with what is ultimately the source of energy and life in, in, in the whole world. And so this and it's connected with the very life of God himself, because that's what we observe in other things that have life, that they breathe. And so, um, you know, that's what kind of comes forward out of God through both a, a word and a word, you could also argue, is a form of breath. It's just a, a voiced breath, 
right? It's a, it's a, it's a breath that sounds like something. That's what word is. So word and spirit or word and breath are not disconnected here, uh, in, in any sort of way. So that it's the, the words of God and his breath that bring forward order in, in creation. And of course, in the second creation account in Genesis chapter two, um, this older account, uh, the story of, 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 the, the 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 man the 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 Adam being taken from the ground uh, of the earth remains just ground just earth just just humus until the breath of God is breathed into him right so that the 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 breath of God becomes throughout the scriptures from that point forward the the what is the the sign of life right so often the the, the prophets or the the psalmist will refer to the 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 spirit or breath or wind of God that has come into living things and that when that spirit is withdrawn people die and when that spirit goes forward they're created right so it's this it's ultimately the the most powerful way of expressing that God is at the basis of all existence of all living things that that God's breath is what we depend on for our very creation and ongoing existence mm-hmm. much like we have a breath in our lungs that keeps us alive and active and animate animated in the in the world it's sort of as if the spirit of god is the breath in which creation itself breathes that sustains it mm-hmm. and present all through you know creation and and that imagery you know is layered you know throughout the the poetry of the old testament that that it's the the very breath of god that that actually is the basis of all creation if you haven't yet become a patron of enacting the kingdom over on patreon you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to when you become a patron, for as little as $3 a month, you'll get immediate access to over 100 Patreon-exclusive episodes, weekly new releases, private live streams, and Patreon community events like Bible studies. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. Now, I, I want to bring up a... a, a a more frightening story, a more frightening story. So we, as our listeners might know, who've listened to a lot of episodes, will tend to bring up the first two chapters of Genesis a lot, as well as Exodus chapter 15 a lot. So Exodus chapter 15 is this big hymn of the deliverance of the people of Israel and is likely the uh, most ancient text that we actually have in the scriptures. Um, But it, it serves as a foundational hymn for the establishment of Israel as a people, this story of them escaping from Egypt, going through the waters and out the other side, this hymn of praise to their God, Yahweh, for rescuing them. And it's quite frightening, Father Jeffrey, in this story. Um, I'm not going to read everything, but in verse eight in this song, the, the, the words are, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy, which is Pharaoh, said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind. This is, again, Israel talking to God. You blew your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters, right? That the spirit of God is not only this animating spirit, you know, the the kumbaya sort of spirit, but also this um, way in which God can enact his his salvation as well, isn't it? Yeah, and here's the interesting thing in what you just read. The word ruach there showed up 
but it was translated in different ways, right? So the blast of your nostrils, the word blast is ruach. So that could be at the spirit of your nostrils or the wind or the breath, right? But here, Mm -hmm. hmm, we want to convey this in a stronger sense, you know, so let's use the word blast, right? Interesting. But you wouldn't have known that unless you looked it up, right? Um, And then you blew with your wind is also ruach. So the translator there has, you know, given you two different facets, you know, to the thing. And so I say you're going to find throughout the, the Old Testament that, you know, depending on the context, that's going to take a slightly different shape, but it's all ultimately, you know, the same thing. And it's like we've talked about before that the multivalence of these symbols, right? Water that is death, water that is life, fire that is, um, you know, God's presence, fire that is the the destructive out of control, you know, out of human control, you know, power that, that can, can destroy and so forth. Well, God's breath is, yeah, the, the animating, you know, thing within all living beings. It's, it's the, the closest thing to our own existence, right? Closer to us than anything else is the breath of God, you know, within us. But it's also this powerful force that can put things you know, it orders the chaos in and puts things in their proper place. We saw in creation, and we've talked before how Exodus 15, in some ways, being this fundamental and first primary text of, of the Israelite people, you know, in some ways is read backwards to that hymn of, of, of creation, which is a later, you know, composition. And so the imagery we have in Genesis chapter one is in a way this, right? The, the, so we go, go back to Genesis chapter one, and rather than saying, a wind of God, you know, simply hovered or swept over the face of the waters. Think the blast of God, you know, came and put those chaotic, destructive waters in their place, right? Which is what's happening in Exodus chapter 15, because the the Pharaoh and his uh, forces opposed to God's will are like the watery chaos, you know, of the beginning of, of creation. So it's the same story here, right? And it's important, I think, to to get the different layers of meaning of a word like ruach, to understand that, you know, well, maybe that wind of creation is not that gentle, you know, thing that we maybe would have thought, or, or we've tamed it by putting a, a spirit as the, the word here, or even worse, putting it with a capital S, right? And almost like this becomes, well, you know, just the, the thing that we understand in our, in our Nicene Creed as, as, uh, as, as one of the, the kind of faces of God, as it were, and, and, and we've, we've tamed it in that way by our theology. Well, that's not what's happening here. These are deep primordial images and God's very presence is, it, it can be destructive or creative, but it's a blast. All right. It's a, it's, it's this powerful, uh, source of all energy and life in, in creation. And so Pharaoh sure got, you know, a good, um, you know, experience of that, but as did, you know, all of the, uh, those who are ultimately setting themselves against the order of, of God's purposes in, in creation, that, that, that experience of, of God's breath can be destructive and it can put people, um, you know, order them back into God's plan, which will not be, you know, in their best interests if they've set themselves against who God is and what his purposes are. Just looking at the scriptural passages, right? Let, let's, let's pretend and ignore kind of the writings of the fathers and things like that. If we're just to look at the scriptural passages, how do we understand the relationship between the breath or the spirit or the wind, you know, the ruach, pnevma of God 
as being related to God, right? There's this, you know, God is the source of this breath, but the breath kind of does its own thing in creation. And there seems to be this, this distinctness with the breath, but also this undeniable um, sourceness from the father, right? There's this connection from Yahweh. I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about the relationship between Yahweh and Yahweh's Ruach. Right. Um, it's, it, it's a very, very complex, um, you know, question. I mean, not least because of this, you know, kind of multi-layered translation, you know, thing that, you know, that we have going here. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. when we talk about the spirit of God, the Ruach of God, um, it's, it's different from just a kind of general Ruach, because you can get throughout the scriptures, you know, spirit of jealousy or spirit of envy or, and that sort of thing. And clearly we're not talking, you know, the same thing, just like we, we can, we can say that in English, right. And people aren't going to be, you know, confused, um, in, in terms of categories here, but what begins, I, you know, we haven't rightly emphasized here as a kind of very powerful, fundamental primordial image of, you know, the very life of things is connected with their breath, right? With what can come, come forth. So, so in probably the, the earliest formation of this, the, the Yahweh and his breath are just simply inseparable. I mean, you can't talk about God acting without God breathing, without God sending forward his, his breath. Like you can't speak about him without talking about the word that comes forward, you know, from his metaphorical, let's admit mouth, right. But the word of God that comes to the prophets or the word of God that speaks to, 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 to Moses uh, and, and delivers Torah and, and so forth. So word and spirit are, you know, there's, there's no sense here in initially of, well, these are separate hypostases, you know, and I think that's what you're talking about in terms of patristic tradition and the idea of, you know, the Christian development of the theology of, of Trinity and so forth. But certainly by the by the late, you know, uh, period of, of the Old Testament and you know, from from Babylon to the time of uh, of Jesus, that this image of God's Spirit um, has taken on you would have to say kind of personal, you know, properties, right? That God acts by his spirit. His spirit has the, this, um, the, the, is described in the stories and the, the narratives of, and, and the way that the prophets interact, you know, with the spirit of God. It's a matter of, it's a personal relationship. It's a, it's a, it's a personal presence of God. It's one of the ways that, um, the, the people of Israel expressed God's presence in their midst, right? Because there continue to be ways in which God is utterly transcendent, utterly unknowable, utterly beyond humanity. But there are various words in the Hebrew vocabulary, which have to do with God's presence, kind of imminence, and ultimately even a kind of incarnational sense, not, not, spirit in this sense but but other words like the the tabernacle and and the 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 shekinah the the, the that glory of god that that kind of enters into uh the the, the tabernacle or the temple and, and, and dwells amidst the people you know of israel and so forth as as his ultimate covenant and creational purpose of being with right of, of being with his people that's why creation exists so the the language of the spirit of god is about God being with 
individuals often when it comes to to the Old Testament. So prophets or righteous people are said to have to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with with God's Spirit, with the Spirit of wisdom, or or this um, you know the, the the Spirit of holiness. This kind of of, of idea of God dwelling amongst people um, in the way that they breathe, so God is present, you know, to them. So we talk about a prophetic spirit or a, or a, you know, you know, as I say, this, the spirit of, of God's wisdom and, and life that, that, is, that dwells amongst people. So I would say all of what you need to do to talk about the Holy Spirit in, in terms of Christian terms is already there, right? It's not that we have a, a fully developed triadology, theology of the Trinity, but the vocabulary, the, the the theology of God's presence amongst his people is already developed there to the point that something like Pentecost, right? The, the day of Pentecost on the 50th day after the resurrection of Christ makes sense. So if God is going to come and dwell with his people, it will be with this presence of, of his spirit that Jesus had referred to, that the Old Testament prophets had had foreseen, that ultimately the spirit of God that had come to individuals or to particular circumstances and times would be poured out on all human beings, right? That's the that beautiful imagery that we get from Joel, for example, that there will come a day when God's spirit will be poured out on all of creation and, you know, old men and young men and women and, and, and all of that, you know, the, the imagery that we have that is fulfilled in Acts chapter two is of, it's a fulfillment of, of where this idea of God's ruach, his spirit, his wind, his breath uh, has come out of in terms, you know, from that earliest imagery of just, this is what the way we talk about God as a living God, he has breath. Now it's God's presence and, and purposes for, for, amidst creation, right? That he is pouring forth his very life in the form of his spirit. And that has come upon the the people of God who are surrounding and following the God as the Lord Jesus. And that that movement goes out into the world as a movement of the spirit, as a, as a cooperation with God's spirit, as a sharing of that, that spirit that is poured out on all of creation. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. There's a prayer that we say in the Orthodox Church at the beginning of basically every single service that I think would be worth commenting on here, Father, the, uh, the O Heavenly King, the prayer, mm-hmm. O Heavenly King. Uh, one thing before we before I turn it over to you to comment on it, just to give some context, you know, we, we say that prayer all year round at the beginning of every service, except when we uh, enter the Paschal season, the season of the resurrection, when we replace it with Christ is risen. So we actually stop singing the hymn to the Holy Spirit for 50 days from Pascha Sunday all the way until Pentecost Sunday, not because the Holy Spirit's not with us, but just liturgically to mark that anticipation of the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then on Pentecost, you know, on Saturday night in anticipation, that first service of the of the next day, um, Saturday night before Pentecost Sunday, the church gathers and we sing, O Heavenly King, for the first time in 50 days. Um, you know, O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who are everywhere present and filling all things, treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, O good one. 
So it's this prayer specifically to the Holy Spirit. So that I, I think that would be good to comment on, especially because, you know, that's how we start almost every single service. Um, yeah. And what, what are we saying about the Holy Spirit there, Father? Well, it, it's all of that complexity and richness of, of the Old Testament right there, right? The, the, the Spirit of God that is the very basis of creation, and creation understood not just that thing that happened way back when, and everything has been unfolding, you know, ever since, but the ongoing and sustaining of creation. So everywhere present, filling all things. We mean that because that's what the Old Testament teaches us about God's breath, right? It fills all things. It's the basis of all reality. It's the basis of every other breath that, that, that people take. And without that breath, you would not exist, None of us would exist. So filling all things. And yet, nevertheless, there's a special sense in which Israel came to understand God's presence, that this transcendent God that brought all things into being and sustains everything by his breath, nevertheless desires this more intimate relationship of, of, of love, of trust, of faith, of, 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 of covenant relationship, where he takes up his dwelling. And this personal dwelling in our midst is, again, expressed as spirit, as breath, as wind. And so, although in that prayer we address the spirit as everywhere present and filling all things, we also say, come and dwell in us, abide in us, live in us, enter into us, as though he were not already there. Of course, he's there because we wouldn't exist without him there. But it's this kind of further sense of presence that we invite God to enter into us as a fulfillment of the very, you know, pouring out of the spirit at Pentecost, right? Where the, the wind of God rushes into that upper room, right? And that roaring wind is accompanied by tongues of fire that come and, and set on all of the disciples of Jesus and transform them into the participants in his kingdom project, right? Of going out into the world by the power of the spirit, sharing that presence of the spirit. But we continually through this prayer of, of repentance and of turning back to God, ask for God who sustains us already, but to enter into us anew with his spirit in this very, very intimate, uh, close presence that he has. And so it's this remarkable paradox in a way. How can God be present by his spirit in all things? And yet we ask him in, and yet he waits for us to invite him in right? There's this further and deeper sense of God's spirit dwelling um, um, amidst us that nevertheless is still that powerful blast of God from, from creation itself, that blast of God that Pharaoh could not tolerate, that blast of God that, that uh, you know, that, that, that guides the, the people of Israel, that, that ultimately, you know, descends on Jesus in the form of a dove and drives him into the wilderness and, and that he promises to those who follow him, the spirit that will come to baptize with fire, he says, right? So that presence of God that is utterly beyond us and yet sustains us, we invite inside of us to, to heal us, precisely to refine us and to, to, to make us capable of being in God's presence. And it's a, it's a beautiful prayer for that. And it, it, how, quite right that we, we pray that at the beginning of everything. It is the basis of everything. We wouldn't be able to breathe, let alone pray, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit who is there 
as God's creative, sustaining, redeeming, and abiding presence in our midst. It's a rather terrifying thing to pray in that what we acknowledge or believe is that this is the same spirit, this is the same breath which separated the waters at creation, right? This is the same breath that blew the waters of the Red Sea into two to cover the Egyptians. It's the same wind that was on Mount Sinai that terrified all of the Israelites and said, no, you Moses, you go up the mountain. We don't want to, we don't want to get too close to that. You know, it's, it's, it's that spirit, that breath, that wind that Mm -hmm. we are, that we're asking to be in us. Like it's, it's quite a profound, you know, if you understand the scriptural story, then liturgically, when we pray this together in community, or alone at home, which ultimately is still part of that communal prayer. It's it, it's it's actually quite terrifying. We're, we're asking the fullness of the creative force of the universe to be more fully present in our hearts and in our minds. Inside us. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why I think it was really important that we started this episode with, you know, all the different ways that this could be understood and, and translated because we we so often just tame these things. And I, I, I do believe that it's some degree, those neat, tidy, patristic theological categories ultimately, sadly, became a way of taming God, right? Where we, oh, Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, suddenly this is just like a, it's a name, right? It's it's a box and we'll put God into that and, and isn't that lovely? And, you know, it, it seems to cause no harm or distress to us, but actually pray, O heavenly King, you are praying for the blast of God's nostrils to be present, right? The same blast that routed the Egyptians and Pharaoh, that blast we want, you know, within us. So let's, I think it'd be an interesting activity to sometimes, you know, pray these things, but use the other words that those words can be translated, um, you know, using to kind of get that fuller sense, that kind of more primordial, powerful, uh, symbolic sense uh, of these terms. And uh, absolutely, it's, uh, it, it is frightening, and it should be frightening. We should be cowering as we pray, as well as exalting in the fact that God has brought us through this, and by His activity, not ours, right? But by His activity, He has made us capable of bearing the roaring wind and the tongues of fire. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.